Today on CityCast Philly, it's the Friday News Roundup. And this week, I'm joined with Mensa Dean, staff writer for The Trace, and Ellie Rushing, criminal justice and law enforcement reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer. It's Friday, February 24th, 2023. I'm Trinae Nuri, and here's what Philly's talking about. Hey, Mensa. Hey, Ellie. Morning. Hey. You know, this has been a really tough week in terms of just stories about the ongoing violence in our city. One thing, you know, I would love to hear from you all is just y'all cover some of the most toughest stories. How do you stay grounded during the week? It's really difficult. I try to lean into the relationships that I build with people and follow up with people when I can and, and, and sometimes even, you know, try to build a friendship with them that so that it doesn't feel like I'm always just parachuting in uh, at the worst moment of their life and following it, following up with them afterwards. Um, but, uh, you know, when it comes to actually just <laughs> signing off, um, signing off is important. It can sometimes be hard to do because you want to keep up with what's, what's happening in the evening, what's happening early in the morning, uh, like finding that time for yourself, going to the gym, doing what you need to do and uh, knowing you can come back to the work when, when you need to. Yeah. Mensa, how, how about you? Like, how does it impact your mental health, but also like, how do you make sure that it doesn't necessarily impact you? For journalists, um, we, we do have some distance from the things that we cover, unlike the police, you know, or the medical examiner's office. You know, we, we, sh- we arrive at the scene after the fact. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's that distance. Um, what makes it much more real to me is when you meet the family or, or the, you know, the, the, those who are left behind, you know, and we do that a lot. That, for me, that keeps me, it keeps me grounded and, and knowing that this is just not just work. It's not just a news story. These are lives. And lives, you know, are very, life is fragile. You know, when you live in the city like I do, from time to time, you do, it gets pretty close, you know, to the violence. And I have, I've actually seen shootings myself. Me too, yeah. And so, you know, it's just, it's just a constant reminder of how um, easy it is for, uh, for a life to be lost. And, you know, how do I protect myself? No, I, I am, I am a, you know, I, I am a Christian and I, I believe that we have to, uh, you know, stay uh, connected to a, the higher power. And so your faith helps you. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it does. It really does. Because, I mean, these are some, these are some really mean streets out here. It's just, you, you have to, you have to be able to compartmentalize, you know, what you cover, you know, or, 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 or it can, uh, negative negatively mm-hmm. affects you meant you know emotionally psychologically mentally i, I was just gonna add like um you know the, i would say this work is it, it changes you i think i've heard a lot of people in the city and especially in law enforcement say this but y- you really never forget the sound of you know a mother crying or finding out that her son has been killed it it, it does change you as a person and it's 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 work that will stay with you right like as as no you can you can try to compartmentalize it as best as you can uh but it will always be there yeah 
this is human life. And one of the lives that were lost this week was Officer Christopher Fitzgerald, who was a 31-year-old Temple University police officer. Uh, He was pursuing a suspect. There was a tussle between the two, and that suspect pulled out a handgun and fired at him, which took his life. Police have the suspect in custody and was charged. Ellie, can you just tell us who Officer Fitzgerald was? Sure. So he uh, is a 31-year-old man um, and father of four. His youngest uh, child is seven years old. He uh, has been in law enforcement most of his life, and he comes from a a deep family of law enforcement. His mother was a Philadelphia police officer, as was his father. I believe his father was a high-ranking police officer here for 17 years before uh, moving in various roles around the country. Now he is the chief of police in Denver. And uh, Christopher started in the, he graduated from the Philadelphia Police Academy. He worked uh, for the PA, for the Philadelphia Housing Authority Police and then in the Sheriff's Office. And he joined the Temple Police Department in 2021. He was an avid runner. Uh, he really did a lot of work to advocate for anti-violence in the community. Some of the groups that he ran with would do this program called Hood to Hood, where they ran through the neighborhoods uh, that have been most affected by gun violence. And he was often the one holding the banner that said, stop the violence or put down the guns. And uh, so he, he cared deeply about this issue um, and it ended up being the, you know, the issue that took his life. One question I always thought I graduated from Temple uh, back in 2010. What's the difference between Temple University police and Philadelphia police? They're different police forces. I mean, Temple works for Temple <laughs> and um, the, the Philadelphia police work for the city. I mean, Temple, they're, Temple police officers are actually, they're sworn police officers. You know, they go through the police academy. They're certified by the state. They carry guns. Okay. Uh, just like the SEPTA police, um, there are other police forces um, in the city that are also certified police officers. And the two work together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of collaboration in the, uh, I guess it's the 22nd Police District. Much of the temple is in 22nd uh, and a few other di- uh, districts, but that's where the shooting took place in the 22nd District. There's a lot of collaboration there. In Temple, um, I don't I don't think Temple Police actually do, like, investigations of crimes. I think that they mostly respond, and then, like, the Philadelphia Police would take over the investigations. Is that right, Mensa? Yeah, yeah, that's right, for the most part. This has torn a family apart. This has really shook uh, the Temple University Police Department. I read in a WHYY article that now Temple Police are moving to a two-person patrol uh, so that officers aren't alone. Yeah, I think, you know, it was, according to Jennifer Griffin, the vice president of public safety for Temple, it sounded pretty customary that uh, that their officers would patrol alone. Um, and when you double people up, there are pros and cons because, uh, you know, it's, it's pulling resources. You can't, you're you're not going to be able to have as many officers on the corner. Um, if everyone is in pairs, I'm not sure if they're going to stick with that moving forward or if it's a temporary thing, you know, helping, helping the officers through this difficult time. I think Philadelphia police are taking more of a role in that area right now as the department grieves, but I, I think they plan to evaluate that more moving forward and, and looking at the pros and cons of whether they would want to continue with that pair up system. 
you know, this also is also in this backdrop of this larger issue of gun violence in the city. And we'll get to that. But Ellie, can you also tell us, you know, how is Officer Fitzgerald being memorialized today? So the funeral service will be today, starting at 8 a.m. at the St. Peter Paul Basilica in Center City. And the service will follow, and then there will be a private internment with the family. Do any of you know, like, how residents are feeling, how students are feeling on and off campus? Well, I, you know, I just interviewed four parents for a piece that I'm working on. And... They universally said that, you know, the officer's murder, you know, is just as shocking and just as tragic as any murder in North Philly. And they wanted to make that very clear. And these were parents of current Temple students? Yes. All very active parents. They've been parents who pitched in to even fund additional patrols outside of, you know, the Temple Police Department and the Temple um, Private Security Force that that the university hires. And they just wanted to make it clear that, you know, they're concerned about the community at large. And some of the work they're doing is holistic in trying to change the, 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 the environment for the residents of North Philadelphia, you know, as, as far as, you know, cleaning the streets, and um, cultivating parks and programs for young people. Mm-hmm. I spoke to students and, and pretty much the same thing. The, the students, the parents, they're very aware that, you know, there's a, there's a, a systemic problem in, in parts of North Philadelphia uh, with crime and violence, and it's, it's affecting the university. And so they, they're very interested in trying to do what they can and, and to bring attention to the fact that North Philadelphia needs more attention from the city. Do you think that um, other universities in the city have similar problems like Drexel University, University of uh, Pennsylvania, and, and, and those schools are in West Philly? Do they have similar problems? Yes, they do. I mean, I mean, St. Joe students have been, you know, mugged and kidnapped. and Right, and that's also in West Philly, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Fall City Avenue. Mm-hmm. And uh, University of Pennsylvania, yeah, all students, you know, these universities, they have the same same problems. Right. We have not had a, a students murdered of late recently at any other university, thankfully, uh, nor police officers affiliated, affiliated with those universities. But yes, you know, they, I mean, and, and the University of Pennsylvania has so much security that there's been some backlash that the university is being too policed. Hmm. That's, that's been reported. Mensa, you've been covering some of these neighborhoods. You wrote about the 39th, 25th, 24th, and the 22nd police districts. It's it's known as a bullet belt of Philadelphia? Well, yeah, that's how I characterized it, you know, because, it, you know, these districts sort of go, go stretch across the stomach of the city or the center of the, you know, uh, north of center city. And as the police department has identified them as the, the most um, gun-prone police districts, you know. Right. And what are some of the factors that are driving the increase of this violence? I mean, you talked about it a little bit before, like 
the lack of investment, so to speak, in these communities? You know, you know that's what it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's generational. You know, it's generational. I mean, years ago, I covered, um, spent a year covering welfare reform when, when, when the federal welfare reform was going to kick in under President, um, actually under President Clinton in 1999. And I spent a lot of time in that area because that they'll said those areas had the highest uh, number of welfare recipients who would have to adhere to new rules of finding jobs if they wanted to keep part of their welfare benefits. And in my research back then, I discovered that, you know, these communities had started started suffering as far back as the 60s and early 70s when um, factory jobs started leaving that area. Mm-hmm. In 2021, uh, Mensa could, could describe the story better than me because he worked on it. The Inquirer mapped out all of the shootings in the city, I believe since 2015, and identified 57 blocks in the city that had had 10 or more shootings shootings since then. Uh, and then they overlaid that map and found that it correlated with the historical redlining maps yeah. and correlated with the deepest poverty uh, sections of the city as well. Yeah. So poverty is, poverty is, is at the root of all of this. Redlining went hand in hand with, um, you know, the neighborhoods becoming de- de-invested or, you know, mm-hmm. the investments mm-hmm. leaving, you know. So, Mitzi, you wrote that in January, 100 officers were added to those districts that I mentioned, 39th, 25th, 24th, 22nd. So is there a more noticeable police presence in those neighborhoods? Well, I was out there for several days. I, I met some of those officers. Some of the people say, yeah, they see a few more cops going up and down the streets. I cannot definitively say (laughs) if all those police officers are out there because the police department wouldn't respond to me. I I did ask them about this a couple of weeks ago and they said that they did add them. Well, there you go. They added them. They're out there. So, I mean, (laughs) I met people who said, yeah, I see it. I see more. I met people who said, I don't see any. I met people who said, well, you know, we'll see what they do. I, and then then I saw people who told me the, the new ones, just like the ones who have always been there, are just sitting in their cars. Hmm. And, you know, 100 officers across a really large part of the city. Right. So it, it doesn't look like a lot. Right. Okay. Because like that's, that's huge. It's like all across North Philadelphia, basically, from like Mount Airy all the way to the Northeast. Ellie, how how do people feel, though, having that presence, though, after maybe a violent incident happens in their community? I th- I think it's kind of it, it depends on the generation of person that you ask. Like if a lot of kind of the longtime residents, um, like elderly black residents of North Philadelphia, they want to see more police. And I think sometimes it's it's you know, maybe younger generations who, who want to see less of it. Uh, but, but people are scared. Um, and, uh, they've, they've witnessed a lot. They, they hear a lot of violence, their families, a lot of their families have been affected by it. And, uh, and so if, if anything helps, they, they, a lot, most people that I talk to do want to see police on their block, at least to deter, you know, that threat. But there's also that question whether, the police are actually making the communities safer right. or more secure. Mm-hmm. And then there's issues of more 
profiling, right? And mm-hmm. that also can lead to um, a, de- a debate about, you know, positive or negative interactions between police and communities. Mm-hmm. So so is there anyone or are there people pushing back against um, an increase of police presence? Yes, there are people. I mean, there are some people like when I was the, the, the reporting that you refer- referenced that I have done on the, uh, the redeployment of the 100 police officers. You know, I was I wasn't surprised that I, I met people who said um, we don't need more cops here, you know, because they don't the ones who are here don't do anything, you know, and um, they're hostile and overly aggressive. You're always going to get, you know, there's never going to be universal universality on anything. Right. right. And um, I think that the, the general consensus, I think, is tipping towards, yes, we don't need to defund the police, but we need to make sure that the police are, you know, being lawful and, and they're well trained, you know, and they have tasers, you know, <laughs> and, and that they don't and, they, and that they learn how to um, communicate well and deescalate. Is there anyone maybe proposing alternatives to police, other like other measures that could prevent gun violence? Well, it's kind of an interesting conversation because, I mean, really, the police are supposed to respond to the gun violence and, and solve it. And then you hope that solving that crime would reduce it mm-hmm. and prevent it. But ultimately, you know, it's not really the, the job of the police department to prevent the gun violence from happening. Um, and so I think that there really needs to you have to fully invest in in all of those services that start at the beginning uh, to prevent gun violence, investing in schools, investing in community centers, reaching young people, jobs. And Menta, I know that the Trace has resources available with Up the Block. Yes. Yeah. Up the Block is a I guess you, it, it's a, a directory. I guess mm-hmm. the be, that's the best way to describe it of uh, services, um, community organizations that are working in, you know, to, um, in various aspects of safety, security, anti violence. And the services are available to the public. You know, just go to uh, trace.org and search for Up the Block. Mm-hmm. We've also got a really crowded mayoral race happening in the background Mm -hmm. of all of this. What should candidates pay attention to? Crime is on the forefront of every voter's mind, I think, this this election. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, the candidates I've spoken to have all said that, um, you know, gun, gun violence is at the top of their list. Has anyone proposed any solutions that we maybe haven't thought about yet? No, I mean, they all have solutions, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but they're not very specific often. <laughs> Got it. I mean, it's hard, right? It's hard to kind of like solve this. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of reinvigorated the conversation of stop and frisk. Um, a couple candidates uh, have proposed circumventing the district attorney's office on on prosecuting some crimes, mm-hmm. but are, are saying, you know, generally we're going to take more guns off the street but it's like, okay, how are you going to do that? Are you going to set a quota? Are you going to stop and frisk more people? How are you going to walk that fine line between people's constitutional rights or, or mm-hmm. you know, just kind of going in with a heavy hand? Um, I think Philadelphians have, have shown that they don't necessarily, that they don't want heavy-handed policing. Yeah, Ellie, you also wrote about mayoral candidates um, saying that they'll declare a 
crime emergency. What does that even mean, though? And what what does that actually do? You know, it depends on the candidate and what they would try to do with that declaration. I think talking to people in the community and to, and to anti-violence organizers, they were like, when people hear there will be a, uh, you know, a declaration of emergency, they're imagining, right, a, a, a natural disaster level response. They're thinking... Uh, like declaring a state of emergency after like a hurricane that that mm. it would just bring so much like the state would come in that you know they'd be setting up tents on the corners of you know, neighborhoods offering resources uh that's that's not what would happen though it, it it's really largely ceremonial uh but from the state level if the governor made that declaration it could unlock more funding uh or more resources but some of the candidates say you know well it it would at least give us a baseline of coordination but residents i think if they hear if they hear that a crime emergency has been declared and then nothing changes and the shootings are still happening you know every day in their neighborhoods then then they could just lose more faith in in their elected uh, leaders. Well, I you know I, I I just think that the 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 citizens are, are have at least ten people out there who have declared themselves candidates for mayor. I, I would think that the people need to really press these people on what they're what they're going to do. It seems like there's so much so many resources to do it with. I mean, Philadelphia's got a lot of money. The question is, how is the money being spent? People need to really, really come out to these forums and uh, listen. And if they have questions, ask those questions because you know the next mayor will, will be basically going to be elected in May at the primary. And so I just I think that um, we should never be complacent. You know, we, you know we've had 500 plus murders for two years in a row, and that we should not normalize that. It's just not normal. And we shouldn't mm-hmm. be acceptable. So the, the the citizens are the city, really. So they've got to step up and um, be heard, and 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 pick the right people. This is the season of election, so don't be apathetic. Mensa Dean, staff writer for the Trace, and Ellie Rushing, criminal justice and law enforcement reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thank you so much for all of your insight and for joining me on CityCast Philly. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Hey, y'all. Here is the CityCast Philly tip of the day. The Reading Terminal Market, which turned 130 this week, is one of the most popular tourist destinations. If it's your first time or even if you love passing by during your lunch break, just know it does get really busy, especially the day before a major holiday. But to beat the crowd, go for those Byler Donuts as soon as the doors open at 8 a.m. Happy birthday, Reading Terminal Market. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. Our lead producer is Mallory Falk. Our producer is Abby Fritz. Our Hey Philly newsletter editor is Brittany Valentine. And our host is me, Trinae Nuri. Music is by Philly's own Interminable, with additional music from All the Kimonos and James Weldon. If you enjoyed this week of episodes, please tell your best friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. 
We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend and be safe. Bye.